Welcome back to the Emperor Fish Show. My name is David Arnold. I'm your host. Today, I have a very fun guest with me to talk Detroit sports, Michigan sports, everything in between. Uh, old friend from quite a few years ago, Mr. Anthony Broom, the manager of Maze and Brew, the SB Nation website. You, if you're on Twitter at all as a Michigan fan, you know who Anthony Broom is. Uh, likely if you're on Facebook for, at all. For better or worse, yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay, if you're a Detroit sports fan, you definitely know who Anthony is because uh, I got to say, Anthony, in all, in all my years following you on Twitter and Facebook, if I ever need a sober look at any Detroit pro sports team's outlook, I come to your feed. I read your opinions. <laughs> uh, not, not to say you're a pessimist, because frankly, I think in the past decade or so, uh, been a lot of reasons to be pessimistic about Detroit sports, but you provide some realism, man. How, anyways, how's it going, Anthony? How are you doing? Well, I'm good. And I guess what I'll say about that is that like working in sports media has a way of, I, you know, using your word, sobering you out, I guess, in terms of um, kind of learn to see things a little bit more objectively. Um, I still love my teams. And, and now that, you know, like you said, anyone who follows me sort of knows that um, a chapter of my professional life is sort of closed now. Um, not going to be doing NFL work moving forward. So I kind of get my NFL Sundays back. So I can be miserable with the rest of you um, about our, our hometown team. Yes, so you, um, you've you always been a Detroit homer. Uh, for the past few years, you, you were working uh, on Vikings coverage. It's good to have you back in the miserable Honolulu <laughs> Blue, my friend. Yeah, you know what? The thing of it is... Um, the Minnesota Vikings fan base, and I have a lot of love for those people. I mean, that was I had fun covering them. Uh, I have family that's in Minnesota. Uh, there's a lot of similarities in terms of like the varying degrees of heartbreak that those teams have had over the years. Especially, like I would say maybe skewed like the Lions. Lions fans, it's been like the ineptitude and some of those things that has hurt. Whereas like Vikings fans, probably the same amount of heartbreak, but it comes in the form of like a devastating playoff defeat or a missed field goal or a, you know, getting trucked a few years ago in the NFC title game. Like, oh, I mean, um, all, all of the heartbreak for the Vikings, you got, the lions, or I should say the state of Michigan. Uh, and then, and then you look at Minnesota to some extent, Wisconsin as well. They're, they're just our Dutch cousins, you know, right yeah. across the lake, not too far away. You so know, we're so intertwined, you know, baseball, football, you know, you know whatever you have it, be it. Yeah, like 10, like two weeks ago, I basically, I was on vacation for like 10 days and I drove through like almost the entire Midwest. Like I said, I have family in Minnesota, so I drove um, like through Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, all of this. Was the the Midwest young and restless Um, from your experience? (laughs) uh, I was restless in the car for like 13 (laughs) and a half hours, but um, something like about the Midwest, like. Everything is just so similar. Like they, you really are when you say like cousins, that's like hitting the nail on the head. Like it is. Uh, I dig it though. I I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world. That's right. That's because you're a sadist, masochist, <laughs> like me, like me. I, I, you know, I just came back from vacation myself. I, I was on the west side of the state in Holland, basically kind of like being in Minnesota or or in the Netherlands. You know, whichever one you prefer. <laughs> uh, the accents are similar to to Minnesota. That it's it's mini Minnesota to me at least, 
Uh, I gotta imagine people are, are pretty nice over there, at least I hope. Oh yeah, um, God, especially in Minnesota. Like I think the like the cousins that like that's all like my mom's side of the family. Spe- speaking of Kirk cousins, not fits in so I was, well. I wasn't even gonna try to work that in. You got it. You <laughs> yeah. you're on top of it though. I I mean he's um, from Holland, Michigan. Yeah. So talk about the Dutch connection there. Oh yeah, people yeah. like people really on the west side of the state, and really just once you get that direction in general, going heading west. Um, I think maybe being like just outside of Detroit, people are a little bit more grumpy just because of the roads suck. Traffic is horrible. It's always congested everywhere. But once you get out there where it's nothing but like farmland and like you go hours between seeing civilization, like in the state of Michigan, it stops being flat and it starts turning into some forest hills and you get to the dunes and it's beautiful. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, it's gorgeous. And the people out there are great. So I, like I said, I, you know, Big Ten country is very much my jam. That's right. That's right. Because we like being miserable in the snow. Uh, so, so you're you're a lifelong Michigan fan. You're a lifelong Detroit sports fan. Uh, you're a fellow Maction brother of mine. Uh, Bowling Green State University and Toledo being my schools, and Central being yours. Um, I gotta ask before we get into the nitty gritty of football season because it is August second. Michigan camp just started yesterday. Uh, so, so football is here, and we will talk football. I got to say, though, first, favorite Detroit sports scene, not Detroit, Michigan, state of Michigan, favorite sports scene, uh, like a, like a, a title-deciding game, which venue would you want to attend? You know, is it Comerica? Is it Little Caesars? Even though they, there's not been much contention since... Uh, the start of Little Caesars history. Name Joe Lewis if you want. Michigan Stadium, Chrysler. What would be your number one stadium to go visit for a Game 7 deciding game? For decide, I'll say this. Probably, and it's not even... This is a tough one. Uh, I actually, like, this isn't my answer, but LCA in general, I know it's, you know, there's not much atmosphere there now between either team because they're not great, but um, on the few occasions where... I've been there where it is rocking. Um, it, it is loud. I think that's going to be a pretty sweet place to see a game. I, I don't know how raucous it'll be, but I think it will get loud when those teams are good. Uh, Ford Field is extremely loud when the Lions, it's the rare occasion where the Lions are good. And even when they're not good, I mean, people pack that place we'll out. still get Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah people yeah. will still pack it up. Totally. Honestly, the rowdiest environments that I've been in and one that, the best place to see a big game at, because that's where I'll term it. It's Chrysler. It really is. When that place is packed, the rafters. Um, I don't know what it is about the design of that place, or because um, they only it only sits like twelve or thirteen thousand people. Like it's not, it's not huge, but just the way it all kind of shakes out, like that, that place does shake when when things are loud there. So, I you know I was just telling my dad this. Me and my me and my dad did a podcast. Um, when we're on vacation, Garrett was on vacation. So I decided doing doing with my dad, talk about the fan experience and, and growing up as a Michigan fan. My hot take is that Chrysler arena, you know, after Michigan goes on like an eight, nothing run and the other team has call timeout in college basketball and, you know, they're jumping up and down TV timeout and, and, and the victor starts playing in the background or in the background, in the crowd. That is that is the most exciting, like passion-filled moment as a Michigan fan. It beats anything from Michigan Stadium, 
I can po- I've ever possibly seen. Uh, Chrysler Arena in that moment when when like the Victors is playing and everyone's just going crazy. I've seen it a couple times in, in the Michigan State Michigan games I've gone to. Hail to the Victors just feels different when like you're in this like crowded, domed yeah. area and everyone's just just screaming it out loud. It, it's my yeah, favorite. It, it hits. It's, it's, it's funny. It hits different, as the kids would say. Um, but yeah, it, Michigan State like. I don't want to turn this into a Michigan stadium thing, but honestly, for as big as that place is, and don't get me wrong, it does get loud. Like it just, it's not like, there's always just a bit, something missing, something that puts it over the top just isn't quite there yet. And maybe it's because their biggest games that they've had there. Um, maybe they've been on the wrong side of that. And that's partially why, um, for 20 years yeah, now, like that might be part of it, but, um, Really, just in general, I think I know when they put the bit the box the luxury boxes on each side, sort of it was designed to kind of keep sound in. But when you just have a giant bowl like that, it just kind of swirls out of the building. So um, I think Michigan Stadium, when it's going, I think it's more of something that you feel like literally feel as opposed to something that you like hear. So yeah, yeah, right. I, the the passion aspect element of it. Uh, yeah, Chrysler Arena. I feel in yeah. the moment, you know, the heat of the moment. Where, where Michigan State was more anticipatory. That's what I would say. That's what I would say. I agree. All right, I I enjoy that. I enjoy that answer. Uh, you know, Little Caesars Arena. This is turning into a stadium podcast. That's cool. <laughs> Little Caesars Arena is so steep. That's something I did not expect at all when I first walked in there. It was just I don't think I've ever been in a college venue, or a sports venue, short of you know the University of Florida Stadium is very steep in a similar way to LCA uh, w- when I went down there as a college student. That's something that intrigues me. Anyways, I, I it'll be fun once we finally have a real playoff series that isn't up against the yeah. Well, apparently even for those Pistons playoff games, like I wasn't there, but I heard that it got like decently loud, which, um, hey, that's cool. And yeah, that place is, um, I those, those steps there scare me. Like they're somehow. Oh, I agree. Totally. I, they're stupid, stupid steep. I mean, like I, I've never, I've never, I couldn't have, I couldn't yeah. have guessed that. Lower bowl but, is fine, but upstairs right. it's a little iffy. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. All right, let's let's actually move on. Anthony, I brought you on the podcast to talk Michigan football, and, and I've distracted you <laughs> for ten minutes here. Uh, so, my friend, we've come to another year where the anticipation is here. It's bubbling. We feel confident. Jim Harbaugh is here. What is the one thing you're most excited for this year? Is it Josh Gaddis opening up the offense? Is there one player in particular you're most excited to see? What are your feelings one day into camp where there, there's just so much excitement? You, know, you just feel it. I, I mean, yeah, it. I think it's a no-brainer to me. Like, it is everything that's going to be happening with the offense. Um, I think that there are some people out there who think that this is going to be like, oh, well, now they're going to flip the switch and – Shea Patterson will be Baker Mayfield. You're going to score 60 points a game. It's going to be like, I don't see that. Um, really is. Can I, can I dream it? If you, you can go ahead and dream it. it. Like okay? I'll, I'll, I'll dream it. Okay, too. I'll dream. That's, that, that's great. Cool. That's that, cool. that would be awesome. I, I, I've been, I've been dreaming on NCAA 14 for the past oh, yeah. five years. Thank now, God so that community okay. has stayed alive. But yeah, I, I think, um, you know, really, people expecting a huge change in the offense. I mean, I think that they will, they will move the ball. And even last year, like last few years, they've been able to move the ball. Fine. 
it's like when you get inside the 20, things just break down. Um, I think that you'll see a lot of those touchdown or a lot of those field goals turn into touchdowns. I think there will be a little bit more of an element of explosiveness and um, they're really making an effort into getting the ball in their playmakers hands. I mean, you've got three guys who, you know, you can make the case any of any or a few of Tariq Black, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Nico Collins, like any of those guys on their own could be a thousand yard receiver. You might have two of them. I don't think you'll have three of them, but like, I think all three of those guys are talented enough. Um, you know, running, running back's going to be a yeah. little bit, I'll say iffy only because it's unproven. Okay. But I think overall, I mean, when you, Jim Harbaugh has always said like, we aspire to be the NFL's 33rd team, whatever you want to call it. 33rd franchise. I've, I've, I've got to pick them. I've got to pick them for sure. you. Sure. So you can continue. Since yeah. on top of running backs, more, more, more rushing touchdowns this year. Ben Mason or Zach Charbonnet? Oh, if they get down to the one or two yard line, like you know who the ball is going to, it'll be Ben Mason. Do, is is Harbaugh taking the headset, calling the plays on the inside? You no, know, I think I don't. I don't think he's going to call the plays, but I think there will be. He will stare. He will stare daggers <laughs> through whether. Gaddis is on the field or up in the booth. Like he will stare daggers through who, wherever he is. Like, you know what time it is. Like we've, we've done the little modernization, but it's, you know. Well, and I will say the most effective short yardage play is still Jim Harbaugh's fullback dive. It's just such a, so effective permanently. I I've, I've asked a few different people that question because I think it's intriguing because Charbonnet, even though he's a true freshman, truly could unlock the running potential. Um, but then Ben Mason is still Ben Mason, even though he's going to be playing defense too. Never know what happens. Um, yeah, and that's that's the other thing too, is that people who think that you're not going to see power football anymore, like I got news for you. Like you're going to see a lot of that still. Like, you know, the, the short yardage, the, yeah. you know, third and four, third and three, or, or like second and three, whatever. Like you, you may not see them do it as much, but um no, I what I envision this being is, um, no, even we've seen the last few years of what Alabama's done to their offense, uh, and that's kind of what Michigan is going for now. Um, they can spread you four wide now, but if they have a lead in the fourth quarter, they're running, they're running out of the eye formation. They're pounding it up the middle. They're you know, death by a million paper cuts. So, I that's still going to be there. I don't see that changing. I think a lot of people, like I said, kind of are, are like feeling like they should expect Michigan to score 40 points a game and Shea's going to throw for 450 yards and six touchdowns. Like, um, I actually, I think that the stat lines, I mean, his passing numbers will be up. And as a result, I think his interceptions will be up, which I'm fine with. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think you're still going to see a fairly balanced offense overall. Yeah, uh, I would, I would generally agree with that. I, I'm excited to see how it plays out. I will say the most gifable moment of the season, you can go ahead and book it. The very first time Michigan fails to convert on fourth and short, whatever, or or, or a goal line, you know, someone has a goal line stand against Michigan and and we go three plays, four plays without giving the fullback the ball. The the most gifable moment, they're going to zoom in so close on Jim Harbaugh's face they're gonna split screen with wherever Josh Gaddis is. And trust me, whoever is lucky enough to capture that, turn it into a GIF and put it on Twitter, 
first will reap <laughs> all the rewards, all the rewards, all the all the retweets. That, that just just be ready for it. All the shot and fruit. So one thing you can guarantee is you know death taxes. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, shot and fruit. Yeah. On the internet. Oh God, it is. Uh, it's starting to become a college football Saturday pastime. Like it really is. Like this, this is kind of where we're at right now. I think kind of it it was one for our parents and our grandparents before the advent of the internet. And then Twitter is just taking it to a whole new level. And the fact we can't beat Ohio State you know, but once a decade, that that stinks. You know, in the in the era of Twitter, only beat them once. That that hurts. Um, actually, where were you in 2011? Um, when Michigan beat Ohio State? Because <laughs> it's becoming a thing where, like, I you know, where were you the last time Michigan beat Ohio State? Yeah, I'll be honest. To this day, like, I was... In a past life where I worked at a landscape supply store, I was working that day. To this day, I have never seen that game. Not even seen highlights of it somehow. So do yourself, so, do yourself a favor. As far, Get drunk. As far as yeah, I'm concerned, no, I'm not. I'm not going to because as far as I'm concerned, that game never even happened. Because it was also like one of those, you know, yeah, whatever. Ohio State was 6-6. Six and six, But like, it's like, don't, it almost feels like it doesn't even count to me. Don't do this to yourself, Anthony. Don't do this to yourself. This one I'm talking about when I say Anthony is a is a is a masochist. Ever need the cold hard truth about Detroit sports? Anthony, let me tell you, I was with my family in our living room in 2011 when Blake Countess intercepts. Spoiler, I'm spoiling this for you right now. Blake Countess intercepts a ball, uh, a tipped. This is the second podcast in a row. I can't remember the quarterback turned wide receiver. Uh, place at Bra- Braxton Miller. Yep. Yeah. Braxton Miller throws tip pass. Freshman Blake Countess intercepts the ball, runs off the field. My family, my mom, my dad, me, my sister, jump off the couch, jump off the chairs, and we start hugging each other in the middle of the living room. <laughs> and it was like it was like the most like spontaneous love I've ever felt with my family. And th- then we went downtown. That's beautiful, man. To 2011, Anthony, you should have been there. We should probably do this more often. Michigan should beat Ohio State more often. That would help. They closed down State Street. State Street, Main Street, Main Street. And uh, literally everyone was just walking downtown. And it, it was it was like 60 degrees in November. It was a blessed day. And everyone was just like the happiest people you've ever seen in your life. And yeah, it sucks that that happened once a decade. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was the most glorious day. I will never forget it. It sucks that it happened once once a decade, but it was it was worth remembering. Get real drunk, enjoy yourself, watch that game. Man. Do <laughs> it, it might happen. Do it Who, who's to say? Like I need to. It will happen. It will happen. <laughs> That's all I can say. Please do it yourself. Please do it. Um, okay, I'm excited about the offense. What was your first reaction when Greg Madison, when it was announced that Greg Madison was taking the Ohio State job? What what, what did you feel? Uh, where were your emotions at? Um, just, just cursing. It wasn't even cursing. The, my first thought was like, uh, nope, don't like that. But at the same time, like I, I kind of came around on it because <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm here for conspiracy Twitter for conspiracy. It's not even a conspiracy. I just like, I just go back to like him running Michigan's defense and it was fine and they were competitive, but like, yeah. I just like, again, it was just a step below. They were always very good, but never elite. Um, and I feel like Ohio State's like, I like honestly, I I think that uh, knowing what we know about it now, he definitely sort of did him dirty a bit. 
but again, Ohio State, what, offered to double his pay? Like, and I told this to, I, I said this on Twitter at the time. I was like, I'd go cover Ohio State for a pay raise right now. Like, I can, <laughs> I can sympathize with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, deep down in like the, uh, in the depths of your soul, it's just like, wow. And, and people were, you know, people acting like it hurts Michigan, but like, that's, if you want to get come, if you want to bring in, I'm trying, I'm, I haven't had to vocalize this all this, so I'm kind of like coming up with on the fly. All I'll say is that like, if you're like trying to build a defense and yeah, you might want to get a dig in on your rival and go get a couple of guys that, that work for them. But do you really want any of the guys that just like were part of the arc, you know, sort of put together part of a 63 point. Yes. Thank you. Whooping. <laughs> I was trying, I was trying to be yeah, nice, yeah. but yeah, that's, um, and they're no, both. no, there, there's nothing nice about last, last year. That was the most inexplicable, unexcusable, inexcusable game. I can, Jim with, Har- I mean, like, like I, I, I never want to fire Jim Harbaugh. I don't, I don't care if he keeps on losing to Ohio state in heartbreaking fashion. He's put Michigan in a situation where they're they're a top ten college football program nationally, so solidly in there, right? They're sixth overall since Jim Harbaugh has been there and wins nationally. Yeah. Like he he's unfireable, just because I I think he has to learn the learning curve. But that game is the most inexplicably I can handle losing in bowl games, because bowl games are just cherry on top, no matter what. Whatever, losing to Ohio State by giving up that many points even fall, you know, falls on Jim Harbaugh. Like if that happened three years in a row, I'd be like, okay, he's got to yeah, go. Yeah, that was, like, that, that's I, the kind of game that's well, like, I said at the time, I said at the time, like, that's honestly like, we know that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan have struggled in these, a lot of these big games, but I can without question. And even we're almost what nine, 10 months later, I can without question say that is the most shocking outcome of a sporting event that I've ever, I've ever seen period. Because before then, Ohio State wasn't playing well. Even, you know, they got a little bit better as the year went on, but they weren't playing well. Don't, don't, no, yeah, I know. I'm not going to. I, I I'm, saw it. I saw it. I was, I was mocking them. I was, no, this is the worst part. I was mocking. This is, this is therapy for me, Anthony. This is therapy for me. So, so I'm happy we're doing this right now. I mocked them the Michigan State game when their punter was the player of the game. Their punter, Ohio State's punter, was the player of the game because they couldn't score. They barely beat Indiana. They barely beat Maryland, and then they did that to Michigan. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. No, that's. I'm sorry. I mean, it goes to show that I've, was I've, that's I've, a that was a clinic. Urban Meyer and his staff were on a clinic that day, and and I've never vocalized that Jim, before. Jim Harbaugh <sighs> and those guys they pooped their pants. Like, there's no other way for me to put that. Um, and you've seen it at times where, um, you know, I was at the Notre Michigan Notre Dame last year, and we were able to be down on the field in that fourth quarter. And and that was, you see it on their faces. It's like sort of the deer in the headlights. Like, what do we do look? And that was the first game of the year. Um, and, and the numbers are what they are in the big games. And like you said, I think you put it pretty well when you said that Jim Harbaugh is, you know, he's got you as a, you know, a top 10 program nationally right now. So you didn't, you don't get rid of that because we know what the alternative is. We saw 10 years of that before he got there. But, you know, at the same time, like, if you can't forget winning those games, if you can't even show up in those games, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Yeah. But one I don't expect to carry into this year. I'll say that. 
I'm 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 glad I'm glad we just had this moment here. Uh, yeah, cause cause back to Greg Madison. I agree. It would make me a little bit nervous if I was an Ohio State fan, considering as defensive coordinator slash main co top dog on the defense, he's gone what one and one and seven against Ohio State now one and eight. Um, I don't know. I just need something to keep my spirits yeah. alive, my hopes. Yeah, up. I mean, I think yeah, cool. uh, enough to keep your hopes up is that, like, regardless of Urban Meyer's uh, not there, Urban Meyer will be USC's head coach in three years. That two is years. Uh, probably first and foremost. But I think the other thing is that, like, I think you just kind of have the knowledge that it is a new year, and, and Michigan's gonna Michigan's gonna have a pretty good football team, um, and I believe Ohio State will have a pretty good football team. But like, it's a like. I'm not – it's going to carry with, like, the the pessimism and, and I guess sort of the waiting for the other shoe to drop is going to be kind of present throughout the entire year because three – like, three of their last five games or whatever it is, like, from mid, mid-October – From Notre Dame yeah, from, on. It's right? like Notre Dame – you get Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State all in, like, the last month of the year. So it's like, yeah, they, they might blow out Middle Tennessee State. Um, take care of army and, you know, kind of roll through that early part of the schedule. But like, people are still, people are still going to be like, well, uh, got to win the big games. So, I mean, and, and that's, that is completely warranted. Like I've said on the podcast, I do, um, I cannot give them the benefit of the doubt to win a big game until I see them do it. But I don't, I, you know, when you're looking at things objectively too, you can't always like, we just have to see how it plays out. Um, you know, when you look at where the two programs are at in general, I think Ohio State is the more proven program. But I think obviously coming to this year, you have a new head coach, new philosophy all the way down. Like they have way more questions about their football team for this year than Michigan does. Uh, I would say the, the level of potential for disaster by Harry and Ryan Day is off the charts yeah. as compared to compared to the potential upside. I mean, unless he could be the next Brian Kelly, and Brian Kelly claims he's the next Brian Kelly, and you know he's been protégéed under all of these guys. The potential for disaster is so obviously there; yeah. it's unbelievable. It just it just feels like the general inertia of life. Matt Campbell is going to be Ohio State's head coach yeah. in four years, which would be fine with me because I'll take I'll take whatever a winning record against. Uh, this I mean, at this point, you just possible. you take forget that like people will. Even if Michigan beats Ohio State, then it will turn to oh well, he never beat Urban Meyer. At this point, who cared? Who well, that, cares? That's like that's he's gone. Point. Like it's over. You you you, you turn off Twitter at that point and yeah, you, you enjoy it. it. You know, yeah, turn off Twitter forward. is just generally speaking good life advice, anyway. So, well, let me tell you, you know, coming back into the podcast thing, I started law school a year and two years ago, and I quit Twitter. At the same time I started law school, I deleted it from my phone and I just got back on Twitter about a month and a half ago and I couldn't believe the mental anguish it it had on me when I up, re-uploaded Twitter and just started scrolling through yeah. all the negativity. And I was like, man, I was doing this every day for so long. I had I had to quit to focus on like law school. To fo- I had to. The mental anguish of sports Twitter, let alone political Twitter, which is a, another entire beast, um, which you know I'm involved in all <laughs> that, uh, begrudgingly. Um, 
it's just like it's just not worth it, man. It's crazy how much it's not worth it. Anyways, I'm excited for college football Twitter again. This as long as it's yeah. avoiding the Michigan yeah. shot and fruit. I'm not I'm not excited for Michigan game day Twitter. I'm excited for college football yeah. Twitter in general. That's the thing about yeah, my like my feed. Is. I think I've done a pretty good job of, of my personal feed, kind of tailoring like social media really is just a practice of tailoring your feed to what you want to see. And then if there's something you don't want to engage with, don't engage with it. And you could how much do you how much do you want to hear? Uh, uh, it's hey. daily, um, but it uh, you know, obviously like I run uh, spoiler alert shocking I run the Nasen Brew Twitter account on game days and that's where I like that's like the, you open the floodgates yeah. to everything like that's where I see some stuff I can't even repeat there but it's um, you know I just think that you know you, you just tailor my general Twitter's fine like anyone like. I just think you have to tailor your experience based on what you want to do. And, you know, some people are on there to fight and to argue and to get into, you know, the, the pissing contests. I just, I have no interest in that. So, um, you know, I'm there for a conversation and if someone's not, then you mute or you're block and you move on. It is what it is. I totally agree. You, you've definitely seen the worst of it since you just admitted that. I'm going to tell you what true horror stories um, I used to work for V Sporto, which company not not around anymore, but it was a cool podcasting thing. Kind of right before podcasting hit big, yada yada yada. I was not forced. I, I got paid to run the Ohio State fan Twitter account we had during the college football playoffs in 2014. 14. Yeah. The when they won, and so so I I ran the Twitter account for the game against Alabama. And then for the championship game against Oregon, and let me tell you, that was for all the negativity on Michigan Twitter that is insufferable. Let me tell you, what's more insufferable is having to watch all of the joy, pure bliss from Ohio State fans as they're winning the national title. Oh man, was, you talk about you talk about down there was like I was like one of the worst moments being, of my life. Talk about me being like the sadist <laughs> and the masochist. Like that is that's I, as bad as it gets. You were a sleeper agent. Well. At that, yeah. At that point, I was still yeah. Paid. It, it so. goes back to what I said. Those <laughs> those checks clear. It, it changes <laughs> changes your viewpoint. That's right. That's right. It do, it does change your viewpoint. Money, man. Cat, what, what's Randy Moss say? That's right. Straight cash, homie. <laughs> That's, right. That's right, man. That's right. Oh yeah. Minnesota it Viking. always does. It all comes full somehow. Circle. Always. It always does. Uh, so okay. So we've talked about the offense. We've talked about the defense. We've talked about. Social media toxicity. Um, let's see. I want to hit you with some Detroit Tigers takes. What are your feeling about the Detroit Tigers, Anthony? I want to hear. It. I'm going to switch from from college football because honestly, I, I subscribe because of your connection to Michigan. I stay subscribed for the takes on the Pistons, Tigers, uh. and Lions. That that's where that's where I get my joy from from hearing oh, Anthony Let's, Bruce's commentary. I'm honored to hear you say that. Uh, Tigers, it's kind of it's kind of complicated right now. So so okay okay, I'm I'm cutting you off because I'm I'm stupid. Nikki C, I, I'm gonna say my very based viewer info, like opinion, and then and then you can you can tell me I'm wrong or you can you can add in the detail. Nikki C, I feel like there was not going to be a market for him because he's basically been like, I hate Detroit. Get me out of here. I'm an average ball player, but I got a potentially good bet. 
Shane Green, on the other hand, is was his ERA was unbelievable, and it made me sad that this version of him was not around when we needed top end closers for the decade that we were competing for World Series titles. Anyways, yeah, continue. Uh, Do your thing. I mean, Go the ahead. Tigers, Sean the, the direction Green. in general. I say this. I mean, it's pretty. People are, I think, are a little bit overly frustrated because of just how bad they are. Um, I don't want well, to go back it, to it might it might end up being so close or a tad bit worse than that. Okay, I I have a commemorative glove. I'm sorry, I have a commemorative glove from 2003 that mm-hmm. my daughter uses when we play catch, and it says it's a went to a game they gave a free glove and it says 2003 Detroit <laughs> Tigers commemorative glove. I'm just throwing that out there. How terrible! <laughs> no, I mean it's, it's continue. I'm sorry. It's pretty clear they're trying to they're they're not actively trying to win. So when a team is not trying to win. And that's kind of their their path right now. Uh, you should sort of root for them to do so. Um, not, not. I mean, Trust yeah. The there's process. there's an element of that Hashtag. for sure because I'll tell you what, they need all the top end prospects they can get because they don't develop them on their own. They don't. They kind of need that talent to fall into their lap. And I think that they've done a nice. I saw a stat. I think it was after the deadline yesterday when kind of the the dust or whatever it was Wednesday. I'm losing track of days here, but. Um, I think 20, 21 of their top 30 prospects have like weren't even here in like 2016. So it's happened that sort of and and prospects are just lotto tickets. And it kind of I could tie it in with college football here. It's like recruiting. Like people say recruiting rankings don't matter. They don't. But the more of those kind of lotto tickets that you have that are four star guys, five star guys, five five tool players, things like that. More of those you have, the better. Like, not everyone's going to pan out, but the more of them you have, the more of them probably will pan out. So, um, at some point, totally. you need to start holding on to guys that are building blocks. But I mean, Shane Green, as great as he's been all year, doesn't have a track record, and it was in a contract year. Nick Castellanos, I mean, he's got a good bat. He'll hit 270, 280 for you. He'll give you 20, 25 bombs, uh, but he's limited defensively, and there's just not a market for that. So, um, they did the they did the best they could. Um, they're they're just so bad they don't have anything that anyone wants. So anyone who thought and it was kind of ridiculous. Like yeah, you see the reports of oh the Nationals are interested in Shane Green. Oh Tigers are asking for you know Carter Carter Keboom who's like their top prospect. Like you were never gonna get you you just like it just wasn't gonna happen. Like um, he's not a Roldis Chapman where you know what are the you know. Cubs gave up Glaber Torres and a couple other guys in that deal. Like he's not. So um, it is what it is. Uh, I guess I'm not a big fan of the man in charge uh, in Alavila, but it's also you're kind of an. <laughs> he was a decent catcher for us. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Obviously, his dad. Yes. Is is Avila Junior still in last? The I, I did, think he's did, with. Did he officially. Last I thought he was with the Diamondbacks. I'm not sure though. Um, the thing, the thing about Tigers having career years as soon as they leave Detroit hurts my soul. Can I just tell you, watching Verlander and Scherzer, uh, when Greinke when Greinke got traded, uh, Zach Greinke from the D-backs to the Astros, they the MLB Network showed up this map and it was like most strikeouts since Zach yeah. Greinke entered Major League Baseball, and it was it was Verlander, Greinke, Scherzer, one, two, three, and. It just hurt my soul 
to know that Verlander and Scherzer have, well, especially Verlander, because it looked like he was washed for a few years there. But to see those two thrive as well as they have for as long as they have since they've left the Tigers, both of them, just hurts my soul. And then, of course, the the ball. Yeah, well, and Tigers. just think of it this way, too. Like, I think that even further should, like, Justin Verlander leaves. He's pitching literally the best he's ever pitched in his career now. Max Scherzer leaves, pitches the best he's ever pitched in his career. J.D. Martinez is a 40, 40 home run guy with another team. James McCann was a freaking all-star this year. Like, it just kind of, to me, that shows that your organization is in a bit of the Stone Age in terms of, and also, like, I know, I know, I know people get a little, <sighs> were a little bent on a shape about Castellanos, like, complaining about the ballpark, but honestly, th- those. I think 420 to dead center field is like that. That is a far way, but. Oh, Oh, I'm with you. So, well, I think it's, it's deep to center field, but I think the bigger concern, like there are other ballparks that are 420 out to center field. Uh, but the biggest problem with them is just like the abyss that is left center field and right center field. And it's I don't know gaps. how to fix like the they've already they've already so brought things in once. I don't think they're gonna do it gapping. again. I mean, it's pretty clear they're gonna build themselves to be like a you know, a doubles and, and triples type of team. I don't know if the game's going that way. I think that um, you know, the evidence would provide otherwise, but that's kind of what they're they're kind of adjusting to what that ballpark is. Um and then you see the thing like Justin Verlander, his curveballs is the best it's ever been because the Astros are doing all this stuff with spin rate and a bunch of things I don't understand. I can't, I can't, I can't help but but cheer for the Astros every chance I get at this point. Just Verlander, he's still in yeah. orange and blue, which which is at least lets me pretend a little bit. At least lets me pretend a little bit. Um, just I, I think, just pray I think God he still well. enters Cooperstown as a Tiger. Like like he he needs he needs to slow down. If he starts getting seven eight good seasons in Houston, yeah, then like, it's, that's a different conversation. It's tough to watch, but it's like you're happy for him too at the same time. He. Yeah, they just had so many weird especially, things happen in their little playoff yeah. runs. Like, who Pablo Sandoval is not a great baseball player. Like, he's just not. But then Verlander goes up against him in the World Series, the year he's the MVP, and Panda takes him deep three times. Like, that's just why. How did? What did they do? Like, why are they snake bit? I get the team across the street. I do, but why are they snake bit? I, I don't. It, it's it's been frustrating, but. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel right now. So it's a little disenfranchising in general just to see um, just how terrible they are. Uh, but really, the guys that you're banking on are still like two or three years away in the minor. So I actually, like right now, I've I've followed the minor leagues more than I've ever had this year, and it's it's been you know it's kind of interesting. Yeah, all those guys mostly in Erie, West Michigan out there, but um, yeah, we'll see. Um, Baseball, I mean, I've always been like a – obviously my work has always been football and basketball-based, but um, baseball really was my first love. So that's why there's a lot of – especially this time of year, the timeline's a little more uh, baseball-y. It has to be. I'll tell you, I, I was – baseball was my first love. I grew up in Baltimore before moving to Michigan, so Cal Ripken Jr. was like my first sports idol. Um, and then the Tigers happened when I was a teenager. I fell out of love with baseball around the time the Tigers lost to the Giants. 
and I picked up soccer. Soccer has been my passion and my love ever since, <laughs> um, to a distressing degree. I'm trying to get back into baseball. I'm enjoying it a little bit more, uh, but it just, you know, I dropped it straight for like three years. Just, just completely dropped it off the map. Coming back to him, like, Verlander's still good. What is happening? Scherzer is even better. What is happening? And then, like, all the Red Sox, like, oh, this just hurts. And then James McCann is, like, the ultimate, like, salt <laughs> in the wound. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for Placido Polanco to. Yeah, you never just, know at this point. If you went into a coma for a few years, you wouldn't even recognize the game today. Like, there are only six teams that are, like, really, maybe realistically could win it all, and all these other teams are tanking trying to do like the Astros thing where they suck for a while, um, which I I've always been the opinion like St. Louis Cardinals like have never stunk, really, but they still year in and year out always have guys. They always have guys down in their farm system um, ready to come up like, you know, you don't have to. And this this is just if you want to talk sports in general, I hate tanking, period, because I think it lets your front office off the hook for like doing your job of like scouting and finding diamonds in the rough and like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's well, that's where you separate championship contenders from dynasty builders is finding the diamonds, you know, the Kawhi Leonard's, the Tony Parker's. I mean, the Spurs are like literally the American dream of quote unquote dynasty, just because they were exactly what you said with the Cardinals. They're consistently good for so long. And, in every sport, but specifically baseball more than any other sport, you you want to be able to buy a lottery ticket that is the playoffs. Right? In, in baseball more than any other sport, just get in the playoffs. It's a lottery ticket. You either win or you don't. But, but you know, in basketball, the best talent wins. In football, generally the most organized team with the best skill players wins. In baseball... It's just a lottery ticket, right? Like you play 162 games and then you're out if you're a wildcard team in one game. In a divisional series, you know, you could be out three games. The rest of the time you're out in four games. It's just such a lottery ticket. Uh, and the Tigers for so many years bought lottery tickets on lottery tickets on lottery tickets. Couldn't get it done. Uh, but that's what you want to do. Like the Cardinals have, have done for so long. Like the, the San Francisco Giants are a perfect example. Lottery tickets, you know. Lottery tickets in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, man. I agree. I agree. Okay. That was a fun sidetrack to the Tigers. We're talking Detroit sports. I want to talk Detroit sports with you, Anthony. This is this is what I enjoy because because I think it's what you enjoy. Oh, it's why I enjoy reading you rant about it, at least. I want to I want to talk about the Pistons right quick if that's okay. Sure. <laughs> that's fine, I guess. <laughs> Are you not excited about Derrick Rose? Where you at? What, what's uh, up, Anthony? Is it 2011? Are we is Michigan Ohio State from 2011? That that 2K13 yeah. team of Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin going to take on the New Jersey Nets with rookie Kyrie and and young gun Kevin Durant? Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. Nah, I mean that's they're just a rudderless ship. Yeah, they're just they're the Pistons right now are just like they're just so content with just being there like competing for a playoff spot like they don't i i don't there's not enough time in the world for me to explain all the problems i have with how they're built um okay okay well well let me say this let me give you my elevator pitch real quick let's hear it sequoia demboya is that how you say his name yes sequoia? actually i i love i love him Se- seku 
I think he's going to be good. Seku Dumbuya? Yes. Is that, is that, is I actually believe, correct? I think it's pronounced Dumbuya. So it's like. Seku Dumbuya. Yep. There you go. See, we're going to get really excited in 15 years when we look back and we're like, how embarrassing was it that we couldn't pronounce his name? <laughs> he turned out to be the next. Better than Giannis. European star. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. Be right. nice. So, so they got the lottery ticket with him, speaking of lottery tickets. And in the NBA, that's what you want. Okay, so so look. Sequoia. Seku. Seku. Doomboya. Lottery ticket. That's what you need in the NBA. You just got, Especially if you're not in the top three. Right? Lottery tickets. Amazing that he dropped to the Pistons. So pumped. Another thing, though, besides him and Blake Griffin, literally every other player is off the books or potentially off the books within the next two seasons. I was just looking at it on on, on Danny LaRue's Real GM website. I the Pistons have nothing. There's there's no current plan, it seems like, to be upward bound. However, they got lottery tickets and they have the most expiring contracts probably any team in the NBA, I would imagine. I'll take those odds. I'll at least I'll at least be content with being like, okay, maybe there's like a 10-year plan. Because the worst thing in the world is having the John Wall contracts for the next 10 years, which Blake Griffin pretty much is, but only until 2022. That's, that's three yeah. years from now. That's, so we can, I can at least, and I can, I'm good with, I'm good with a seven, six seed Blake Griffin-led Pistons team doing their thing for the next two, three years. I I think he's been a great leader. Just get rid of Andre Drummond. I think I came around on that bandwagon way too late. But but I'm done with Drummond. Gotta go. Reggie's going after this year. That's that's my... Yeah, I mean, the problem with them is that it's like they can't decide if they're going to go all in on competing for like a fourth or fifth seed or if they need to rebuild long term. Um, What I'll say about the current construct is that They've done a pretty good job of stacking like sound, logical basketball moves on top of each other. I thought they drafted pretty well last year with the two second rounders they had. Um, Seku, like you said, lottery ticket. We'll see what happens with him. I think he has a chance to be like. Uh, I don't think he'll like. He's not anyone who expects him to be Giannis. Like I think like no one's Giannis. He's a unicorn. But like I think he could be potentially better than like Siakam is in in Toronto. So. Um, but it's going to take time. Like he's 18 years old. Like he can't even have a beer for three more years. So, um, him and Blake, he literally needs to be, he should be, they should be attached to him. Yes. Um, Next three years. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think they're good enough to be like watchable, but when you look at like, they're just not, I don't take them seriously because they don't have a plan. Um, they're sort of like, I think the best parallel I can come up with right now is like the Mets, like the Mets just traded for Marcus Stroman, despite like people saying that being like seven games. Yeah, out of the it's, card. and they're a little <laughs> bit hot right now, but like, you know, they've, you know, the Marcus Stroman trade is sort of similar to like the Blake Griffin trade. Cause like, you're not, you're not totally out of it. You might have a better chance of being in it with him there, but like, are you really in it, in it? So it's like, well, let me tell you, when the Mets win the 2019 World Series and the Pistons win the 2021 NBA championship, I will glad. I will glad. We'll sure I will gladly eat crow if that happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. A funny that you brought up, you know, Michigan owned 
New York Mets. B, I was talking to Ben Golliver of the Open Floor Sports Illustrated podcast, uh, Michigan grad, about this one trade scenario that I was super pumped about. I, I'm not a Russ Westbrook fan, but let me tell you, Russ Westbrook and the Detroit Pistons made all of the sense in the world to me. And, and he might have just been nice going along with it, following me along with it down this rabbit hole, but he agreed with me. This was before he got traded to the, to the Rockets. I thought Russ and Blake Griffin could have been the perfect old man pairing. And they could have been the perfect three or four seed to win a first round, maybe win a second round series, get all the Sports Illustrated cover story cred about the old men like like proving their worth. And never never seriously compete for an NBA title, but at least make it maybe to a conference finals, maybe to a conference semifinals, and just get respect. And at this point, I would take respect for the yeah, Pistons. I... I would take it. Because they're both super athletes who are aging, and I think Blake has learned how to turn his super athlete body into a super productive NBA player without the athleticism. I thought maybe he could teach Russ a thing or two. Anyways, that, that was my... I, my, I, I had an old boss that always said, if you can't be good, be interesting. And I think that would have been about as interesting as it gets for you know around here purposes. So that's how I feel. <sighs> I would take in Russ over John Wall. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And I would take interesting for the Pistons right now because it's been a sordid, depressing mess for the past since Joe Dumars traded away Chauncey yeah. Billups. You can literally pinpoint the day the Pistons died. They took the Spurs to Game 7 for potential back-to-back NBA championships in, in 04, 05. And then couldn't quite do it again. Anyways... I'm sorry, we're going down some depressing <laughs> rabbit holes. We're talking about Michigan, Ohio State, Pistons, Tigers. <clears throat> Maybe next time you come on, we'll talk Lions too. We'll see what happens there. But um, Anthony, I really appreciate it. This has been a good time, man. I, I enjoy talking with you about sports. I seriously do enjoy all of your Detroit sports takes. Those are those are the favorite part of the job. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the Red Wings, which actually we will definitely save for another day, another podcast. Maybe in October-ish. You know, maybe a- after Michigan's national title hopes are dashed, maybe still going on. Maybe we'll discuss the Red Wings because uh, I have a feeling that would be an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I need some leaves on the ground before I'm ready to um, ready to go down the <laughs> hockey road. So <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, man. I'm right there with you. It feels too good outside, too nice. Anthony, uh, anything else you would like to say about Michigan football? Anything else before, before um, we depart? Gosh, I don't uh, – no, I I could go on for quite a bit, but I think that um, I think it says something about the team, the team, the team, the team. I had to finish that out. Uh, I think it says something about what the like. This is uh, we've we've always kind of hyped them leading up to the season, but now we're seeing Stuart, national we're Stuart seeing Mandel national media. Not a fan of it, for what's worth. Yeah, I mean. We're starting to see na- like national media is like almost unanimously picking them to win the Big Ten, which is scary. But at the same time, like the expectations are still there. Like um, I'm excited for that. There's a lot on the line for the for this really just where this is headed. Period. So, um, you know, with camp starting up, we're going to start seeing stuff about position battles, and um, I think offensively, outside of maybe running back, everything's pretty decided there. Defense is going to be. Interesting to watch. I think we kind of know how it 
is projected to shake out there. But um, I'm excited to see what comes out of it. I want to, you know, I don't base anything off of spring football. Um, but I, this is where you start hearing stuff about guys and, and you start getting excited. So, um, yeah, yeah, just excited, generally excited for the season and, uh, you know, um, ready for football. I, I will say this is the one thing I tell people, and you probably know this, Dabo Sweeney. Do you know the stat I'm going to tell you about Dabo Sweeney? It's the one thing I cling on to more than anything else. Let's hear it. Do you know his record versus Steve Springer in his first five years at, at Clemson? Uh, one and four? Try 0 oh and 5. Oh, and 5. Oh, and 5. That's <laughs> right. And if there's anything, at this point I'm clinging. I'm, I'm grasping for straws. If there's anything that gives me hope in life, it's that Debo Sweeney could start his career against his end-of-year rival, Steve Spurrier. And Steve Spurrier used to dog him. They would go, they would go on statewide you know, trips speaking together in South Carolina. And see, they had a, apparently have a friendly relationship. Uh, but Steve Spurrier would just dog him all the time in the only way that Steve Spurrier can. Uh, and, and for that to happen and them still come out you know, to be this current iteration of Clemson, Gives me hope that maybe Harbaugh can one day do the same. Is that possible, Anthony? Say yes. Just say yes to make me feel better. Of course it is. Like that's not even me trying to make you feel good. That is, it's it's very possible. Yeah, yeah. So so if Dabo Sweeney can do that and turn Clemson into into what it is today, so can Jim Harbaugh. Right? We're not that far away. All right, Anthony. It's a pleasure, man. I really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, I I enjoy talking to fellow Maction brethren. Uh, again. Anthony Broom, SB Nation, Mason Brew. Uh, he's the big boss. He's the boss man. <laughs> Anthony, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is Anthony T. Broom. Anthony T. Broom. As simple as it's always been. Have you ever changed it since the day you day you started Twitter? Uh, I haven't. And, and I would really just love to have Anthony Broom, but there is an egg account that hasn't ever tweeted that it's like taking it. So, oh, no. Um, oh, no. What's worse, that neg account, or for me, the David Arnold is just at David Arnold. He's the music director for all the oh, James well, Bond. Oh, you know what? That's you know, shout out to him. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I know it's the real David Arnold. Right? It hurts. It stings. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot to live up to. That is intense. That sucks for you. Uh, Feel bad. It's so close. I'll get over so it. Close. But yeah, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts sometimes. You've probably gotten over it for a while now. But yeah. Okay. I appreciate it, Anthony. Anthony T. Broom on Twitter. Uh, uh, follow him. You know, read his stuff on SB Nation. You know, especially if you want Detroit sports talk and Michigan sports talk. He's got it all. He's got it covered. All right, Anthony. I appreciate it, guys. This has been another edition of the MGo Fish podcast. Follow us at MGo Fish. Follow me at David Arnold M I. Um, or, you know, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Give us five stars. We've already got about 20 ratings so far. You know, we just fourth episode, third episode. Uh, so we appreciate all the feedback. 